welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 26 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby and I'm joined by my co-host Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mary. Nice to be talking with you again. Oh, likewise. Are you cooking there? Nice and hot, Max? Nice and hot. Ready to turn over and do the other side, I think. Oh, yeah. No, I hear you. We're like chicken on rotisserie right now. Um, But uh, before we get started, we'd like to thank eGate Solutions for sponsoring this week's podcast. We all want happy passengers. They buy more and they're likely to be more loyal to your airline. But delivering a positive passenger experience is hard when you're relying on legacy systems and manual processes. eGate Solutions provides the technology behind onboard services, connecting and automating every step of an airline's operations from the warehouse to the passenger. With eGate, you can spend less time and money on the process and more on optimizing the passenger experience, which really is what we are all in the business of delivering. Visit eGate Solutions online at www.egate-solutions.com or email them at info at egate-solutions to learn more. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, John Walton, who probably needs no introduction. John is an international aviation journalist who writes for several industry titles, including Australian Aviation, Airways News, and of course, Runway Girl Network. He's a contributing editor at uh, Runway Girl, in fact, and he also pens our very popular opinion column up front. John, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? And where are you, by the way? I'm fantastic, Mary. I'm talking today from Roscoff in northern Brittany in France. And it's just great to be talking to you and Max again. What a, what a, what a busy summer we've had already. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. John, welcome back to the show. It's good to be talking with you again. Likewise. Now let's take a look at some of the PaxX news stories making headlines. First, we'll start with British Airways. They've announced that it is installing a first-class cabin on its Boeing 787-9, an indication that the airline continues to see first-class as a linchpin of its future long-haul fleet. John, you've been tracking this development closely. Why will BA offer first on the 787-9 at a time when so many carriers are removing this class of service? Well, it, it's a really interesting question, Max. Um, BA, of course, didn't have first class on its 787-8 aircraft. So to have it on the 9 is is actually really interesting. Um, for me, I think it's that British Airways knows its market segments very well. And it has what is an increasingly unusual range of products from uh, World Traveller Economy through to World Traveller Plus, which is their premium economy, through to Club World, their business class product on long haul, and, and then up to first. Um, you know, and... BA has always focused on premium long-haul travel, um, and it's also the only airline with an international first-class network in, in, all net, uh, in all directions from London, even if some of its aircraft, like the 777-200s, uh, some of those aircraft, and the, uh, the 7878 don't have first. John, it's only eight seats, correct? Uh, first-class seats on, this, on the Dash 9. Yeah, that's right. Um, most of the current cabins are larger than that, of course, 12 to 14 seats. Um, so it's, it's interesting to, to, to note that they're, uh, they're not going to be offering as many. But of course, the 787-9 uh, is a smaller aircraft than the, the 747-400s that it's likely to be replacing on many routes. Do you think it's a response to the fact that, uh, you know, some of these Gulf carriers are continuing to not just offer first, but, but super first class on some of their, uh, you know, the, the flagship aircraft in their, in their fleets? I mean, yeah, I think it is. I think obviously BA, you know, much like Lufthansa and much like Air France, wants to compete as a as a premium European airline. Um, and, and I think it's also about the products that they're offering. 
So, you know, Bishop is business on Long Haul is Club World, and that is and looks continue to be one of the most dense fully flat bed configurations out there. Um, that's thanks to BA's yin-yang layout, where uh, one passenger's feet are the other side of a little wall from the other passenger's head. So you, know, you don't need as much uh, seat width at your feet, so they can squeeze a few more seats in there. Um, you know, it's obviously not the gold standard because of the lack of direct aisle access, right? Somebody has to do the hopping over the passenger in the aisle to get out of a window or a middle seat. And, you know, it's also a very workmanlike, no-frills product, um, both in terms of those seats and, and the service, right? I mean, it's it's not dripping with luxury. Um, it's, 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 you know, the food is very, it's, food is fine, but not great. Um, right. I, often, I often liken it to, you know, what being at boarding school in the UK was like, you know, sleeping in these little dormitories and having food that, you know, it was fine, no real complaints, but you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not the individually plated, um, you know, uh, food that you see on you know, even other uh, airlines business class. It's no Virgin Atlantic. It's, it's, it's no Emirates. It's no Etihad in that way either. Um, but of course, <laughs> at the same time, BA's first class is, is often nicknamed the world's best business class for a reason. You know, as a hard product, it's remarkably similar to some of the better business classes out there. Mm. You know, it's, it's just an outward facing herringbone product, which overlaps with the seats in front and behind it. Um, so some people who are regulars in first class find it a bit small. And there's this thing that's unique to British Airways right now is that BA can't upgrade its Club World product to something like a herringbone without also then cannibalizing first, mm. which it would then either have to drop or turn into a sweet product. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing that American Airlines hits with its uh, 777-300ERs, right? Yep. They have that great Zodiac Cirrus business seat, which is a herringbone direct access for everyone, um, in the same number of seats across as their international first-class cabin. Uh, so what's the extra value there? Yeah, it gets to that point where you ask that question. Of course, United Airlines, and we're going to talk about them a little later uh, in the show, but United Airlines uh, said this actually pretty blatantly about a year, year and a half ago. They said, you know, we offer a full flat product now in business class. What is the point in offering kind of, you know, just yet another full flat product with just a few more bells and whistles in first? Our, our best bet here is to really focus on uh, ensuring that business class is, uh, is, is really, you know, up to snuff. Um, um, Max, I mean, if you're if you're flying premium, does it matter to you if you're in first or business if you're getting that full flat experience? Uh, not really. The, the cost differential, of course, is uh, so great that it's usually not worth it for me. And in the past, it certainly hasn't been worth it for my employer to pay for the right. <laughs> the higher class. But you know, I I wonder if if BA doesn't have a kind of a dilemma in terms of a product consistency. I mean, when you're talking about aircraft as large as the A380 and uh, compared to the smaller 787, and I know how do you maintain a brand consistency across different classes across different aircraft? Is is that a dilemma for BA? I'm, I'm not sure it's it's as much a dilemma for BA as it is for other airlines. Actually, I mean, BA's had this. Uh, current generation seat, which is the Club World one with the with the wall and the electrically operated divider, since 2006, um, which is quite a while in business class terms. Um, uh, and the the nice thing is that on on the vast majority of their long haul fleet, that's what they operate. The, uh, the 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 exceptions are um, really uh, quite just a few. Um, 
regional A321 aircraft that they inherited from BMI British Midland, um, which had the Thompson Vantage product on it. But, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a similar standard product. It's a fully flatbed, but without the directile access. And that's something that, you know, BA is actually relatively consistent on. Um, you know, some inconsistencies, of course, creep in uh, further back in the cabin. Oh, yes. Where, um, you know, you have uh, <laughs> right now you've got some, some World Traveller plus premium economy seats, um, some of which are very new and, and, and delightful on the, uh, on the 787s, on the A380, on the new 777s, or on the 777s that have been refurbished. Um, but the older ones, like on the 747s, are significantly less. I mean, they're very, I mean, they feel very much economy plus, not business minus. And I think that they've, well, British Airways always pitched them like that, right? They called it World Traveller Plus. Um, it is a proper premium economy seat, but it just didn't have, it, you know, it just felt a little bit too economy and not, not business enough. Um, and they've changed that with their new seats. And as the 747s go into the big aircraft graveyard in the sky, BA will, will be able to, to, to offer product consistency again. Uh, I'm a big fan of that World Traveler Plus, both the old and the new. And I think it's because I'm one of those, you know, usual flying economy, so starved for any little bit of amenity that the opportunity to fly it at a reasonable price, um, you know, I'll take it and, and be happy about it. It's funny. I, I love, I, I actually really like that one. Um, but at, you mentioned the 74. Of course, there's a lot of product inconsistency on the in-flight entertainment. Um, BA, of course, having, still flying around. A lot of those old Rockwell Collins, uh, uh, audio video on demand systems. They're very quirky. Um, they're finally refurbishing. <laughs> um, they're finally refurbishing, uh, you know, at least some of the, the seven fours that they're going to, um, you know, that they're going to keep around for at least a few more years. Do you think, John, and this is a story we're going to address um, actually on, on the network. Do you think that it would make sense for them to offer connectivity? They're bringing the Panasonic's EX3 system to some of these seven fours. Do you think it makes sense for them to slap on uh, some connectivity for the for the end of life of these aircraft? Well, I think it all depends on how long that end of life is. You know, if they're keeping it for another five years versus another ten years, that's that's a very different answer. Um, but of course, BA only has that one seven four seven currently flying around with with yeah. Panasonic Ku anyway. You know, I, I if if I were them, I'd certainly focus on installing it on the planes that they know they're going to have around for a while, mm-hmm. um, like the seven eights, like the A three eighties, and like like the triple sevens. You know. It, I, and I think that they're, they're also starting to focus those aircraft, the newer planes, on the more lucrative routes where, um, where connectivity is going to be one of those things that people are really going to start choosing nowadays. You know, I'm, I'm always astonished at how many people say, yeah, you know what, I, I really do pick airlines by Wi-Fi now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's super important for so many people. And they want to know whether or not they're going to have the good one or the bad one. Yeah. Um, and that's... You know, there are a bunch of airlines, you know, like like, like uh, British Airways competitors who offer that. Lufthansa has a very uh, wide ranging uh, Wi-Fi rollout on its international fleet, sure. and and you know, I uh, anecdotally I know a bunch of people who say actually, yeah, I'll 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 take the connection over Frankfurt rather than um, rather than be without Wi-Fi for for twelve to sixteen hours. Yeah, we're, we're, we're waiting kind of in uh, with bated breath to hear what BA's decision is on on this issue. All right. Well, why don't we push on and talk about Airbus a little bit. Airbus recently revealed that it is working on a new interior for the A350 that will enable it to offer 10 abreast seating and economy, the seats being just a a little under 17 inches wide. 
Uh, Mary, there seems to be a lot of interest in this story, I think, for, for obvious <laughs> reasons. Why is that? And has any airline actually ordered this configuration yet? Uh, this is a, this has been a fun story to kind of track, to be honest with you. Um, a few years ago, when Airbus uh, started uh, talking about a comfort standard, you know, where they said they that a comfort standard uh, in economy is an 18-inch wide seat, um, you know, they were pitching this to- comfort campaign while they were still selling all of their wide-body aircraft in high-density configurations, including the A350 at 10 abreast, and at that time. The Tenebrest A350 was uh, billed as offering seats with only 16.4 inches wide. That would make them uh, the smallest seats in the entire world, to my knowledge. John, <laughs> am I right there? That's the, that, would, that would be the least what <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's even narrower 16. than nine abreast on an yes. A330, which, which is the current... Um, What's the opposite of gold standard? A lead standard? I don't know. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, so it's sort of beggared belief, you know, that on the one hand, Airbus was talking comfort, and on the other hand, they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth and talking about these 16.4-inch wide seats. So what they've done is they've kind of gone back to the drawing board, and they realize that they need to get it at least closer to that 17-inch width mark. 17 inches being, of course, right around where the uh, seven eight, the Boeing 787 comes in, and, um, and of course, uh, the 737. Which, ironically, Airbus has, uh, you know, kind of bashed left and right as not being comfortable. But meanwhile, they're selling this uh, this this Tenebrest A350, and they are trying to get it closer to a 17-inch wide seat. So that's what they're working on right now. And we've gone kind of back and forth with Airbus, and we've talked to two different executives. And and what we've gleaned is that at this juncture, no airline has made a formal commitment for Tenebrest A350, but Airbus fully expects some of its Asian operators, particularly those that are offering uh, kind of high-frequency, long-haul regional and low-cost long-haul, to uh, ultimately uh, go in this direction. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, some of the travelers and that, that follow our, our stories and stuff on social media have been breathing a sigh of relief that Airbus has come out and said they don't see any U.S. or European carriers adopting Tenebrest A350, um, which is which would be still very, very tight and, and, and very much akin to, say, the Tenebrest 777. Although the 777, John, isn't that... that it, now I know we're slicing dice, dicing and getting into hairy, hairy situation here. But the triple seven is is probably the tightest right now outside of the nine abreast A three thirty. Correct? Yeah. Well, so the, the, essentially, well, what what you're looking at is um, as his aircraft that, that grow in size from the seven eight seven um, than the uh, you know than the, than the other aircraft. And my my issue with the the A three thirty, which is even smaller. Is that the only uh, only airlines that have really chosen that nine abreast seating, which is quite so terrible, are you know your AirAsia X, mm-hmm. your Air Transat, um, your uh, Cebu Pacific, right? So these are airlines that are specifically either charter or long haul low cost, um, and that's fine, right? I mean that that is setting very clear expectations about what you're what you're going to get and what you're not going to get. My issue with some of these other ones, so you know nine abreast on a seven eight seven, you know ten abreast on a seven is well there are actual airlines that real airlines that are attempting to and advertising that they offer a, a premium economy product mm. you know lowercase premium economy right you know that they're better than the others and and yet these seats are some of the narrowest that you can fly 
Um, I, it really gets my goat because you're not setting your experience, your, your passenger expectations properly. Mm. Um, you know, and if, if airlines will do that, then people can actually make an informed decision about, okay, in that case, I'm going to buy premium economy where that's offered. Um, or actually, in that case, no, I'll, I'll take this other flight. But they don't. They sell them just alongside their, you know, their other aircraft. I mean, let's let's talk about British Airways, which has uh, nine across seven eight sevens, and then A three eighties with those, you know, those standard wonderful um, eighteen point five inch plus wide seats, both, you know, in in ten abreast downstairs, and then that lovely little eight abreast cabin upstairs, which is, you know, one of the nicest ways to fly an economy, um, and they ha- and they don't charge you any more or any less for flying on those planes. Um, and, and I think that that's problematic. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, there are other ways to increase revenue per seat mile than, than taking it out of seat width. And I, I just wish the airlines would kind of focus on some of those other methods instead of just taking more and more away from the passengers. I mean, and it, of course, and we remind listeners, you know, of this all the time, but but passengers genuinely are getting taller and wider. I mean, you know, we can't deny that. And Airbus is interesting, at least. And as John says, yes, you know, they're focusing on a certain type of market. Um, they don't believe that this, uh, the, the, the lion's share of the A350 operators will actually go for 10 abreast, which is a relief. But they keep saying that the Asian operators, well, they can do it because people are smaller in Asia. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, for now, okay, you know, I guess my concern is that, you know, it takes off in Asia and you have European and U.S. carriers that say, you know what, we could get away with that too. Um, should we be concerned about that, John, do you think? I mean, of course, but Boeing pitched the 787 as eight abreast and then, you know, virtually everyone went with nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what, what was interesting was that the Japanese operators who launched the 787 uh, originally picked eight for their for their long haul, and ANA is now converting all of those back into nine abreast. Um, and of course, the, the the other sort of interesting code is that British Airways was the one that invented ten abreast on a on a triple seven. Um, they tried to do that um, on their leisure routes out of Gatwick, where they have a dedicated set of uh, sort of subfleet triple sevens, um, and were roundly condemned by the travelling public and, and wheeled that one back very quickly indeed. You know, uh, you know, I I have some th- some sympathy for people like. Uh, Cebu Pacific, right? Now, their their long-haul, low-cost product is essentially taking Filipinos to the Middle East mm-hmm. for, you know, uh, migrant labour. And, you know, to an extent, that that is driven by costs much more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, sure, average female length is shorter there. So, you know, maybe you don't need as much legroom. Maybe you don't need, um, you know, uh, that extra seat width. But as soon as you start using those aircraft on, on routes where there are tall people... And, and that, you know, as you say, there are tall people in Asia. It's 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 not this, um, you know, single entity where where everyone just is just really short. That's, you know, I mean, I'm six foot three, and I lived in Beijing for a year, uh, and this was back in 2003, and I could find trousers that were long enough for me. Right. Um, you know, I wasn't walking around in capris that entire year. Um, so, you know, I I really do caution those airlines who are thinking about this to really consider whether or not in the age of mobile and vocal and social passengers, whether or not you want to be known as the airline which has this terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, last but not least, we'd like to talk to John about some of United Airlines' recent PaxX improvements, namely its decision to personalize the travel experience with crew tablets and its improvements to its soft product. Uh, John, in the past, 
United has come under a lot of fire for its passenger experience. Why the changes and why now? Yeah, they're, they're very interesting changes, Max. Um, you know, the, the, the idea that you know, um, the uh, phablet size iPhone 6 Pluses that um, United Crew will be issued with um, will have these personalization options like being able to wish a passenger a happy birthday on or around their birthday um, or to, you know, let them know that, oh, you're, you're, you've just achieved um, this next status tier. Congratulations. That's that's great. Um, you know, in in the soft products, these um, what I think are some very attractive and very reusable new amenity kits with uh, the very surprising choice of cowshed product uh, inside, which is a very sort of hip, trendy, young London brand. You know, it's impressive for United. Um, yet I think a lot of these changes are around pumping up the soft product in business to deal with the fact that United's hard product is actually below par still. Um, we were talking earlier about their, about their seats, but um, in terms of its international product, particularly in premium, United doesn't really have a good story to tell, even com- just comparing with its US competitors. I mean, its business class is split between the old United flatbeds, which are very narrow. Um, they're eight across on the 747 and 777. Um, and they're not in that sort of British Airways yin-yang where um, you know, the feet's narrow on one passenger, which means that the shoulders can be narrow on the next. Um, and the rest on their fleet uh, are the old continental BE diamond flatbeds, which are again six across on the triple seven, which means that you still have the, the midnight clamber for people who are in a window seat. And, and people don't like that. Um, you know, neither of those products have directile access. Um, Delta's entire wide body fleet does. Um, you know, they mix uh, the contour seat, the Thompson Vantage and uh, uh, Zodiac Cirrus. All the pre-merger uh, US Airways wide body fleet does. And an increasing amount of the pre-merger American fleet is, is, is being refitted with, the, um, uh, with their new uh, yin-yang herringbone seats. Um, I, you know, I think that, to me, that seems like something that United is trying to put um, lipstick on a pig. And Ooh. it's not a great pig. <laughs> <laughs> I like bacon as much as the next passenger. But, but, bit you know, of, really, bit of smoke and mirrors here. <sighs> yeah, you know, and look, I mean, United has specifically said that it wants to attract younger business class passengers, right? And and, yeah. and it said so with that decision to go for cowshed products in the amenity kits, among other things. But any kind of business class passenger wants an on-time flight in a seat that reflects the price they paid for it. And, you know, <laughs> this is this is an airline that is experiencing what keeps being called its summer of hell. Um, you know, flights have been incredibly delayed. There are IT system failures that are making headlines. Um, and and people read that and they think, actually, I probably need to be where I'm going on time, whether or not I'm a, a, a business traveler in business class or I'm a, I'm a premium leisure traveler. I mean, if you're a premium leisure traveler flying internationally, you've almost certainly got something that you're doing on the other end, whether that's, you know, actual holiday bookings or you're going back to work. And, and you want to be on time. You don't want to take a, a day's delay. You don't want to have you know, flights, div- two entire 777s diverting to Canada um, for, and, and people sleeping in army barracks and things. You know, I think that's why they're trying to get these good news stories out. And, and hey, let me be clear, these are good news stories. But, you know, passengers talk. Yeah. No, I mean, some of the changes do seem... To, to a degree meaningful, irrespective of what the, the motive might be. Um, particularly the one where... Uh, crew are going to personalize the experience. You wrote in a very interesting piece for Upfront, John, about uh, how uh, passengers can now expect to hear a happy birthday on their birthday and, 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 and the like. Talk a little bit about that. Do you think that matters? Now, we have heard, I should say, uh, from some readers who believe, well, is that an infringement on their privacy? 
Um, uh, well, I don't think it's infringed upon their privacy. Obviously, any information that you give the airline, the airline is entitled to use in delivering its services to you. I'm sure that's in their terms and conditions and has been for, for quite some time. Um, you know, they'd be smarter if they had an opt-out clause or an opt-out button, obviously, to say, you know, please, please don't personalise my flight right. details. But, I mean, you know, you, you're, you're handing over um, a, a, an ID at the airport, which has all this personal information on it. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if the airline quite reasonably felt that it was it, it could use that to, to to make your flight a little bit better. Um, look, to give you, I I think it's lovely that United will be you know wishing people happy birthday and, and commemorating their um, you know, loyalty milestones, and they'll even be saying you know oh I I see that it's now you know sixteen years since you've been a member of our mileage plus, plus program. Congratulations! But just that you know that just that little bit of you know oh happy birthday or congratulations is 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 fine and nice but are they going to do anything else with that are they going to you know if it's if it's your birthday are they going to wander by with a with a glass of sparkling wine perhaps or you know even a a, a, a beverage you know a choice of beverage off the menu right. i mean that surely wouldn't be that hard to to deliver and 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 you know <laughs> what seems to be a lot more um a lot more of an instagrammable moment you know yeah. as, you know, people, and that's how people people communicate, and that's what that's what smart airlines are doing. They're they're allowing people to have those moments that they can share, which is good advertising for the for the airline. You got to give the flight crew the autonomy to be able to do that, the flexibility and freedom to be able to make that call at that time. Some do, and some don't. But the delivery yes. is really key, I think. Uh, it, it can really cross the line between being nice and engaging and get into the creepy side if the delivery is, uh, is you know, not, um, not done well, if the delivery is mechanical and rote. I mean, when I was looking at this, the, the scenario that ran through my head was a flight attendant saying, you know, uh, good day, sir. Happy birthday. Followed by, welcome, madam. Congratulations on the birth of your first grandchild. Next, you know, good day, sir. Don't forget, tomorrow is your wedding anniversary. And, and followed by, welcome aboard, sir. We noticed you staring at that redhead. Don't let your wife catch you. You know, you know there's, there's some line somewhere, I think. Yeah, the, the, the thing that struck me, Max, was it felt a little bit like going into a TGI Fridays or somewhere similar, where, you know, you, you have the sort of four-minute spiel that ends with, do try a new appetizer. And they're going to have to avoid that, obviously, as as an element, if this is going to be a meaningful communication that people actually value. Um, and, and I hope they do, because, you know, there are so many opportunities with, um, you know, with the rise of, of, of handheld tablets. And I've seen British Airways deliver this, uh, interesting enough, um, both both well and poorly, right? They, they, they've had tablet-based um, purser applications for quite some time. And, you know, every so often you'll, you'll, you'll spot the purser going by and, you know, sort of saying, oh, you know, hello, Mrs. So-and-so, um, you know, thank you for flying with us again. Um, I've noticed that um, your uh, your uh, outbound flight is, uh, is, is going to be delayed. So, you know, I've taken the opportunity of uh, suggesting that they also hold you a seat on the flight that will depart an hour before that. Um, that's the kind of thing I think that people really want this to be, rather than, you know, your, your sort of birthday card from the airline situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it will be pretty fascinating to see how United handles this one. We wish them the very best of luck. 
Um, well, unfortunately, we're rapidly coming to a close here. We want to thank our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at RunwayGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at, at @RunwayGirl, And remember to use the Paxx hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We'd love to have you. And I'd love to report that uh, we're starting to see Paxx now go across uh, different industry within the travel specter, including... Um, rail which is really exciting oh, for wow. me to say yeah <laughs> yeah it's good it's good um i'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor egate solutions and i'd like to thank john walton for being our guest john where can listeners find you at well oh, thanks very i'm john uh john walton my twitter is that john and uh, you can also find me on on facebook and online just uh, drop john walton aviation journalist into the search engine of your choice and you'll find me fantastic Thanks, John. And we'd ask all of you to join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye.